from the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 33. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory, and not those based on our own opinion or on the precepts of men. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 32 asked the question, why must we do good works? It gave a threefold answer, so that we may show forth our thankfulness to God, so that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruit, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbor for Christ. Lord's Day 33 deals with another question. How can we do good works? While you will not find this question asked in this straightforward way, our Lord's Day for this afternoon is concerned with this question. It speaks about the way in which we are enabled to live a new life in thankfulness to God. The first part of the Catechism has taught us about our sins and misery. We learned that we cannot keep God's law. By nature, we're inclined to hate God and our neighbor. The Catechism asked in question 8, but are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? The answer is yes. But it's followed by a word of hope, by that word, unless. In Lord's Day 3, our Catechism says that we're unable to do any good unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Lord's Day 32 picks up on this when it mentions that Christ renews us by His Spirit to be His image. In Lord's Day 33, the focus is on how we can live lives of gratitude to God. It speaks about the true repentance or conversion of man. Here we deal with God's mighty work by the Spirit in our hearts and lives. The Spirit brings about a great change within us. More and more, He causes us to die to sin, and more and more, He helps us to live for God. Our old sinful nature is renewed in such a way that we're enabled to live thankful lives to God's glory. I preach to you the Word of God under the following theme. Conversion is the daily renewing of the Holy Spirit in us so that more and more we do good works. We'll see the need for conversion, the way of conversion, and the fruit of conversion. 
The focus of our Lord's Day is on the true repentance or conversion of man. What is this repentance or conversion that we're speaking about? Conversion is a turning away from sin and a turning to God. Our catechism defines it as the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. This involves both an inward change of heart and an outward change of conduct. Repentance means more than just saying, I'm sorry. It also means breaking with sin. Our repentance or conversion is not based on man. We do not turn to God on our own. We cannot turn to God on our own. Instead, it is due to God's work in us. Through the Holy Spirit, God causes us to repent of our sins and to turn back to him. John 6, verse 44. In John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And when Jesus uses that word, draw, he uses a word that's used of dragging fish in a net into a boat or onto the shore. Or he uses a word that refers to a man dragging his neighbor into court. We don't always want to go where God is bringing us. We often resist because we draw pleasure from our sins. Yet God will have his way with us. By the powerful working of his spirit and word, God goes to work in the hearts of his people. In John 15, verse 16, the Lord Jesus taught us, saying, You did not choose me, but I chose you. If God has chosen you, he will regenerate you. He will work new life in you. He will bring you to a living faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 tells us that no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Thus we see that our conversion is the work of God in us. God takes the initiative. By his Spirit, he grants us new life. Often when we speak about conversion, people understand us to be referring to a once-off event. The scriptures do speak of people coming to faith in a dramatic way. Think of the Apostle Paul who was traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus in order to take captives the followers of the Lord Jesus. Suddenly, a bright light shone around him from heaven, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was the Lord Jesus speaking to Paul. He called Paul to be one of his apostles. And so we see that within the space of a few days, Paul went from being a persecutor of the church to one of the apostles of the Lord Jesus. Yet in Lord's Day 33, the focus is not on a once-off event. The true repentance or conversion spoken about in Lord's Day 33 is a lifelong process. We are being converted. We repent daily. Another name for this ongoing process of renewal is our sanctification. Day by day, the Holy Spirit works in us, helping us to know our sins, to repent of them, 
to live holy lives before God. The Spirit helps us to appreciate God's grace in Jesus Christ, so that more and more it's our desire to show forth thankfulness to Him by doing good works. So we see that the conversion spoken about in our Lord's day is an ongoing renewal of our hearts and our lives. The question that can arise in our minds is, why is this renewing work of the Spirit necessary? What's the problem with our hearts anyway? The Scriptures don't beat around the bush in answering this question. Genesis 6 verse 5 says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Genesis 8:21, the Lord acknowledges that even though every inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth, yet he would not again destroy the earth by means of a flood. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So we see renewal is necessary because by nature, our hearts are totally corrupt. When you study the Bible, it's interesting to see how much emphasis is put on the heart. The Bible teaches that the real issues of life are spiritual. They are matters of the heart. In the Bible, the heart is used to refer to the inner man. It refers to a person's spiritual life in all its various aspects. Think, for example, what the Lord told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Samuel being sent to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king of Israel. He thought that the Lord would surely choose the eldest son, Eliab, as king. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. The man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord chose David to be king over Israel because David was a man after God's own heart. Why is the Lord so interested in a person's heart? Why did he command his people to love him with all their heart? The reason is because the issues of life proceed from the heart. The Lord Jesus made this very clear in his earthly ministry. In Matthew 5, the verses 21 to 48, the same refrain is repeated six times. Six times the Lord Jesus begins his teaching by saying, You have heard that it was said, followed by some law, the teachers of the law had taught the people. And in each case, Jesus responds, But I tell you. And then he addresses the matter from a spiritual perspective. Christ makes it clear that the root of murder is anger, that the root of adultery is lust. And so he addresses what really lives in our hearts. The Lord teaches us this explicitly in a number of passages in the Bible. In Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus addresses the Pharisees as a brood of vipers. He asks, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure 
The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. See, beloved, the point is that how we live, what we do, is determined by whether our heart is ruled by the Spirit or whether it's being ruled by our own sinful desires. Christ's teaching is even clearer in Matthew 15, where Jesus responds to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They accuse Jesus' disciples of not washing their hands before eating bread. Jesus said, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Beloved, the point is, we all need open-heart surgery. A person with clogged arteries and a damaged heart can look pretty good on the outside. But if the doctors don't perform radical surgery, such a person will soon die. In our lives, we all too often put the emphasis on outward things. On looking good. On being successful. On making a lot of money. We want to make sure that in front of other people, we check all the boxes. We get sucked into a worldly perspective on what's important in life. But ultimately, none of these things will do us any good. God really doesn't care about such vain things. His interest is in transforming our hearts, in making us alive so that we will live for him. Beloved, in each of our lives, we're fighting a daily battle. Warfare rages between the sinful desires that well up within us from our corrupt nature and the spirit-led desire to love God and serve Him. It's because of this that we are commanded to fight the good fight of the faith. We're encouraged to put to death what is earthly in us and to put on Christian virtues like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. As long as we live on this earth, we'll need to engage in this spiritual battle. For daily, we have to contend with our old sinful nature. This is true even of believers who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this in Romans 7, verses 18 and 19. This is Paul as a redeemed, renewed person speaking. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Even as children of God, we still have a wretched capacity to do evil. So often we are self-centered. We do what pleases us instead of living our lives out of thankfulness to God. So often we put me first without any real care or consideration for our neighbor. Yes, beloved, in our lives we see the need for conversion. 
We desperately need the renewing work of the Spirit, turning us away from sin and toward God. Daily, our hearts need to be renewed so that we are enabled to live our lives to the glory of God. This brings us to our second point, and it will see the way of conversion. Our catechism describes our conversion as the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. This process is described for us in a beautiful way in our reading from Romans 13. In the verses 8 to 10, Paul calls us to fulfill the law of God by loving one another. Here we see the call to do good works. In the verses 11 to 14, Paul calls us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In these verses, he outlines the way of conversion. Paul calls us to live a Christian life, a life of love, knowing the time. He says, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. What does Paul mean by this? Why is he calling us to wake up? Paul's point is that the day of salvation is at hand. The day of Christ's final return is very near. Are we ready for the return of Christ on the clouds of heaven? We better prepare ourselves because the time is short. And so we see that the Apostle Paul makes a connection between how we live and the final return of Christ. He calls us to be prepared for Christ's second coming. It's true that it's currently still night. Satan still rules over this dark world. But the night is nearly over. The darkness will soon give way to light. The sun is about to rise on a brand new day. Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will usher in a new era. The time when we will reign with him. Beloved, there's an urgent call here. Wake up before it's too late. Don't be like the five foolish virgins sleeping, not ready for the coming of the bridegroom. We need to learn to live each day as if it were our last. So what did Paul expect from these Christians in Rome? What can we do to prepare ourselves for Christ's coming? In Romans 13 verse 12, Paul says, so then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Not only do we need to wake up, we also need to clean up. The world around us lives as if it will always be night. It delights in all kinds of sin and wickedness. Paul gives some examples. He mentions partying and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. As Christians, we should not partake in such sins, for we're not children of the darkness. We are children of the light. What does Paul mean when he calls us to cast off the works of darkness, to clean up our act? Here Paul speaks about how we are to put off the filthy garments in which we were conceived and born. We need to fight against our old nature to resist the evil desires of the flesh. Paul says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. With these words, he challenges us 
Is our walk of life open to public scrutiny? Would we live the way which we do if we knew that everything we thought, said, or did would be made plain for all to see? In John 3.20, the Apostle John writes, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. In Ephesians 5.11, the Apostle Paul exhorts us, saying, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Beloved, there's two possible ways that we can deal with our sins. The one way is to try to hide them, to cover them up. It's possible that we can do a pretty good job of that in this life. But the problem is, the day of Christ is dawning. And as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 13, No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's why as God's children, we're called to follow the other way. Instead of trying to hide our sins, let's confess them. Let's grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we've offended God by them. Let's lay them before the Lord in prayer and ask him to forgive us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not hold our sins against us. Instead, he will cover them with the blood of Christ. And at the same time, beloved, let's pray for God's grace and spirit to help us in our struggle against sin. Not only do we need to repent of our sins, we also need to hate them and flee from them. If we get rid of our dirty clothes, we also need to put on clean ones. It's no use getting rid of some dirty clothes just to put on other dirty clothes. After calling us to wake up and clean up, Paul calls us to also dress up. In Romans 13, 14, Paul writes, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, beloved, it's by the grace of God that we are dressed in white robes. Christ has taken our sin upon himself. He has clothed us with his righteousness. In Romans 13, Paul calls us to live as redeemed children of our Heavenly Father, as renewed saints. We need to put on the new nature. The point is that our conversion not only involves grieving and sorrowing over our sins, it also involves great joy. This joy is in God and through Christ. We don't rejoice in what we've done or in the spiritual level that we may have attained to in our lives. Instead, we rejoice in God, in his boundless grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. Why is our joy, our comfort based on Christ? Because he's fully paid for all our sins with his precious blood and has delivered us from all the power of the devil. He has also granted us his Holy Spirit to assure us of the life we have with him and to make us willing and ready from now on 
to live for him. The Holy Spirit works a new life in us. He changes our hearts so that they are directed toward God. He changes our lives so that more and more we live him for God's glory. He makes it a delight for us to live according to the will of God in all good works. We deal with this further in our final point, the fruit of conversion. We begin our reading in Galatians 5 at verse 13. There Paul reminds us that we were called to freedom. Christ has redeemed us by his blood and is renewing us by his Holy Spirit. We've been set free from the bondage of sin and Satan. In Christ we are a new creation. Since we're holy, we're called to live holy lives out of thankfulness for God's redeeming work. Paul warns us not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. He encourages us, since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If the Spirit dwells in us, then it should be a joy and a delight for us to live according to the will of God. Paul then outlines what the fruit of the Spirit is. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This fruit mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 can be divided into three clusters. Love, joy, and peace are the fruit that result from knowing God and living in a right relationship with Him. Patience, kindness, and goodness are evidence that we're living in harmony with our neighbor. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the fruit that flow forth from the life of a person who is self-aware and who's disciplined in how he conducts his life. Now, beloved, it can be easy for us to think we're living life that way, that we're doing pretty good in our service of God. That kind of thinking is flawed. The works we do, even the best of them, are all tainted with sin. If we love God, or if we're patient and kind in dealing with our neighbor, or if we show forth self-control in how we conduct ourselves, that is not our work. These are not character traits that can be developed by human endeavor. We cannot produce that kind of fruit in our lives. Remember, beloved, that in Galatians 5, Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to live in us, to bring us to faith, to turn our hearts away from sin to the living God. The Spirit changes us from the inside out. More and more, He helps us to put to death what's earthly in us and to put on Christ. And so the Holy Spirit develops the fruit of faith in our lives. It's His work, not ours. We see that clearly from how the Bible speaks about the fruit, about the fruit of the Spirit. Note how the Bible speaks of joy, of peace, and of hope. 1 Peter 1 verse 8 speaks of a joy that is 
inexpressible and filled with glory. Philippians 4 verse 7 speaks of the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. 1 Corinthians 2 focuses our hope on a future so great the heart of man cannot even imagine it. That kind of joy and peace and hope is not something we can develop within ourselves. It's only the Spirit of God who can produce the fruit of conversion in our lives. Beloved, it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to live our lives to the glory of God. He makes it possible for us to do good works. He changes our corrupt hearts so that more and more we renewed in Christ's image. He helps us repent of our sins, to flee from them, to hate them. He causes us to rejoice in doing the will of God in all good works. How blessed we are to receive the Holy Spirit. His mighty work begins here and now. It'll continue throughout all of our lives. It'll continue until the time when Christ takes us out of this life, when we enter the new life on the new heavens and the new earth. And then, beloved, we'll be able to do the will of God perfectly forevermore. Praise God for his wondrous work of conversion in our hearts and lives. Amen. In response to the gospel message, we'll rise and sing from hymn 74.